message could not be understood except through the intermediary of faith. And the reason we find here is because um, the mystery of God has been hidden, which God ordained before the world unto our glory, verse 8, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. If they had understood his plan, they would have let Christ die an old man. But they didn't understand it because it's been cloaked. It's been cloaked in parables. It's been cloaked in mystery. And in fact, if you go back over to, uh, go to Amos in the Old Testament, let's just track for a moment this, this thread of mystery. And in Daniel 2, the king said to Daniel, you know, speak to your God because he is a revealer of secrets. He will reveal his secrets to you. This pagan king of Persia knew that the God of Daniel was a revealer of secrets through, through dreams and, and uh, uh, otherwise. But uh, when we turn to Amos uh, 3... Verse 7, surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he reveals his secret unto his servants, the prophets. Go over to Romans 16. To Romans 16. And we go to verse 25. And we see similar uh, verbiage here. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began. Go on over to Ephesians 1. Just turn a few pages over. To Ephesians 1 verse 9. And we'll track this just briefly. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, the mystery of his will. Go on over to chapter 3 of Ephesians, verse 4. Whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Go to verse um, Colossians 1, 26, and we'll stop there. There's more uh, I can give to you, but we'll just go to Colossians 1, verse 26 and 27. Even the mystery which has been hid from ages and from generations but now is made manifest to the saints to whom God would make known what is the riches of... Um, the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. The mystery of God, hidden since the foundation of the world, is Christ in us. Chapter 2, verse 2, and chapter 4, verse 3 continue that. But this is the mystery that we are now under. Now you, 
you look back over in Revelation, and we will, we will finish out that look of the tree of life, go to chapter 21 of Revelation. Verse 1, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. Go over to chapter 22, verse 1. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb, and in the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, there was the tree of life, which bore twelve kinds of fruit and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. The new earth will be in a healing state, eating from the tree of life, and the leaves of the tree of life will heal the nations. I don't understand that, but I think it's so exciting. What an amazing plan God has. But here is the return of the tree of life. Now notice, there's no more tree of knowledge of good and evil. Where did it go? Because God doesn't destroy, he completes. You know? He doesn't destroy the law, he fulfills the law. What was the law that he came to fulfill? What was the law that he came to fulfill? Pardon me? Righteousness, but something else. Before righteousness, he's implementing righteousness, but he's fulfilling another law. What were you saying, Tish? Yes, Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. And what did Jesus have to do in order to fulfill the law with every dot and tittle? He had to bring the justice of God to man and the wrath of God against sin to man. And how did he do that? Because he took on the wrath of God. He took on the death, the tree of death. He fulfilled, I don't think it was the Mosaic law, that was the ultimate meaning in Matthew 5 of I came not to, f to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. I think he was saying, I came to fulfill the law of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And to fill it to the last dot and tittle. And the consequence of eating of the tree of knowledge was death. And Christ fulfilled the law of death. He fulfilled it. And we're going to get into that a little bit more in a moment. Now, we are under the shadow since Eden, since Adam and Eve ate of the tree. We are now living under its shadow. Our shade tree is the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and we are living in its mystery, in its pain and suffering. And when we get into a conversation on the mystery, pain, and suffering, it will take us back to this. Almost every conversation we're going to have on the mystery of God has, is rooted back in Eden. And so we'll be just making a path back to the Garden of Eden in this series of conversations. But you have here, then, 
us living under that law. And you go to Revelation 10, and I think we get some glimpses of where the tree of knowledge is, where it went. In verse 7, but in the days of the voice, of, this is chapter 10 of Revelation, in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the seventh angel is the last trump of God. This is the end times, just before Christ returns. Look what happens when that trumpet, that angel begins to sound. The mystery of God should be finished. And in chapter 11, verse 15, the seventh angel sounds, and there were great voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. The earth is swinging back. The authority of Satan has been broken completely. The adoption that we are currently in is fulfilled. So what do you think he means when he says the mystery of God is finished? What does that have to do with anything in Eden? I think it means that the tree of knowledge of good and evil has been finished to the last dot and tittle. The mystery that we have lived under because of the shadow of that tree, living in the valley of the shadow of death for all these generations of mankind, it's now fulfilled. It's now fulfilled not just at Calvary, but it's finished itself out. And I think when this seventh trumpet sounds, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, its shadow, is extinguished. I think it is finished. And when we move into eternity, into eternal paradise, we don't have to worry about free will choice anymore. Because you and I here, as we have accepted Christ as our Savior in some of the most daunting of circumstances, have made our choice. And he accepts it, and he seals it, and there can be no chance in all of eternity for that being lost. Because you and I made our choices here with the onslaught of Satan, because a great war landed on this planet when Adam said yes to the fruit. And the only way we are retrievable and redeemable is because God forbid the possibility of access by man to the tree of life. Thus giving God time to wage battle against Satan for what went over into his camp. He is the prince of the darkness of this world, he governs and runs the empire of hell. And when Adam and Eve both ate of that tree of knowledge, all the planet went over to the dark side. But the very fact that earth is not hell speaks to the restraining activity of Christ here on this planet. We are caught in this netherland between heaven and hell, this planet is. We are wedged in the seam between a righteous eternity and a hellish place. We are caught in the seam here. 
And God went to battle for us. And the first thing he did was to make sure that our state was not permanently, eternally sealed. So it gave him time to fight for our trust. And that's what he has been doing since the beginning of time. He's been fighting for our trust. Because what was swung away from heaven by the free will choice of man can only be returned to heaven by the free will choice of man. Okay? So that means that he awaits our decision about him. And everything he is about is being thrown in to this battle to save us eternally. And to seal us in the minute we say yes, in the midst of the pain and the suffering, in the midst of the confusion, in the midst of the mystery, in the midst of the death and dying, we say, yes, Lord, anyway, I take you. I choose you. He says, good, I've got you. And my hand will never be released from you. There will not be a tree of knowledge in eternity. You have made your choice here. And it is sealed. So we're caught here in this wedge. And he gives us faith and he gives us prayer to access the righteous realm until the mystery of God is finished. And he brings this lost planet back home. Reconstituted. Recreated new. The word new heaven and new earth doesn't mean made out of original substance. It means recreated, renewed, made out of already existing substance, refashioned. So how does he do this? I, let me see how much time I have, submit that he did it by a third tree which I believe to be a third law, as equally powerful as the tree of life and the tree of knowledge. Turn to 1 Peter 2, 24. He himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. So the cross is called a tree here, perhaps a third tree. I want to read to you from Zechariah, you also can find this in um, Isaiah 11.1. 1. In fact, let me go over to Isaiah 11.1. 1. We'll start there and, and go to uh, Zechariah. There is an unusual name for the Messiah that is spoken of in Isaiah 11.1 1 and in Zechariah 3.8 and Zechariah 6.12. Verse 1 of chapter 11 of Isaiah, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Turn over to the next to the last book of the Old Testament, Zechariah. 
and go to Zechariah 3, uh, verse 8. Hear now, O Joshua the high priest, you and your fellows that sit before you, for they are men wondered at. For behold, I will bring forth my servant, the branch. And in King James, that's in all capital letters, the branch. Go over to chapter 6, verse 12. And speak unto him, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, the man whose name is the branch, and he shall grow up out of his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. Tear this temple down, and in three days I will build it up. Now why would Christ, in prophecy, be called the branch? What is he a branch of? What? By accepting or euphemistically eating of that tree, we now have Okay. I believe, and this is what you've said, that he is a branch of the tree of life, in literal, a literal branch of the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. A literal branch. Now, the cross is part of the root of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now look what happens. Literally happens at Calvary. You have the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Death. Christ is crucified on it. The branch. The branch from I am the resurrection and the life. I am the life. A branch from the tree of life is brought into the result or the fruit or the root of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And what happens? What happens to that branch? He is nailed into the tree of death. He is grafted into it. Yes, and grafted into it. And what, what happens when you graft one? Does, does somebody know how to graft? And what, that, what does that do? It's usually a fruit tree, right? It produces a hybrid of some sort. Does that mean that the fruit is the same or is the fruit different? The fruit is different. It produces a new thing. Life encountering death and overcoming it produces a tree of resurrection. Produces, I think, a third law as powerful as the first two. More powerful, yes. Because there, life encounters death and death eventually in the Old Covenant overcomes life. And it's an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But here, when this tree of, this branch from the tree of life is grafted into the tree of knowledge of good and evil, the tree of death, it produces a new tree. It fulfills the law of death, of sin and death, and it produces a new tree, the tree of resurrection, where life encounters death and life overcomes it where Christ went into the grave and overcame the grave by rising up from it. It is the era now. We are in the era of resurrection, the era of overcoming. 
He overcame this world not by standing at a distance and waving a magic wand. He overcame this world by entering into this world. He overcame sin in the flesh by entering into the flesh and living perfectly in that and overcoming sin in his flesh. He overcame the grave by entering into the grave. He overcame hell by entering into hell. He overcame death by coming out of death in Hades with the keys of both in his hands. Revelation 1. We are in a whole new era and the cross, I believe, is a third radical law. Now, in order for it to fulfill, to be a law, it has to fulfill the same requirements that, was at, that we looked at in the Garden of Eden. It has to be unending, universal, affect everybody and everything on this planet. And it has to be forever, unending, until it is fulfilled and a greater law takes its place. Well, let's look at resurrection and see what, what it might do there. Uh, turn to John 5. See how it might fulfill this. Okay, we've got five minutes before we take a break and have some discussion afterwards. Can I do this in five minutes? We'll see. <laughs> well, if we catch this, it changes everything about how we see the wrongs that have been done to us. That changes everything about how we see the injustice of this world and about how we respond to them. It changes everything. Um, John 5. Verse 28, marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all, underline all, that are in the graves shall hear his voice and shall come forth, shall come forth. They that have done evil, uh, done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Resurrection covers all. The destination of resurrection is where it diverges. Those that have done evil, the resurrection of damnation. Now, turn on over to uh, Acts 24. This is Christ speaking here. In Acts 24, you have probably Luke... Well, no, it's probably not Luke. I don't know who it is. Uh, just now realizing Paul. It's probably Paul. Um, chapter 24, verse 15. And we have hope toward God, which they themselves also allow, that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. There shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. Turn over to 1 Corinthians 15. Start with verse 21. Here's the universality again. For since by man, Adam, came death, you know, death came upon all through Adam, uh, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. You're speaking of the second Adam. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. 
the resurrection of the just and the unjust. To be a law, according to the idea of the first two trees being laws, it has to be universal. It is universal. It has to be enduring until a new law fulfilled, the old law is fulfilled and the new takes over. This resurrection lasts through eternity. Both the just and the unjust. The resurrection of life and the resurrection of damnation. Profound. It changes not only all mankind, but the planet itself, because it becomes resurrected in a sense. It becomes new, reconstituted, recreated new. So we have two mysterious spiritual trees in the garden. Only one remains standing at the end of time. The tree of eternal life. The mystery of the tree of death has ended by Revelation 10 and 11. The sounding of the seventh trumpet. And no longer do we have to live in, within the veil. No longer do we have to live within confusion. No longer do we have to live with death and dying once the final battle is won. All tears are wiped from our eyes. There is no more curse. You know, the world was blighted by Adam's decision. And uh, in Revelation, I think it's 19, no, 22, verse 3. We'll just end with this. And there shall be no more blight, no more curse. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And I believe it's in 19 where it says, He shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. It's not 19. And there shall be no more death or dying. The resurrection is eternal. The tree of knowledge of good and evil has been fulfilled, not destroyed. Fulfilled. Fulfilled by Christ and us living out in its shadow until the Lamb of God returns in his glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. <laughs> For the plans that you have made that we can not but glimpse of its majesty and its completeness and its perfection. Thank you for your glory and your love and for fighting so fiercely for us. Thank you that you have fought and endured to win our trust. And thank you that trust is all we need to return home. I pray this in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, our King of Kings. Amen.